The Lord be with you. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can boldly, confidently approach your throne of grace and actually ask of you now, Father, to be gracious to us, be merciful to me, Father, a a sinner, forgiving us, Father, for our inability to hear you clearly and opening, Father, the eyes of our hearts and enabling our hearts to actually be affected by your love, to be changed, that you might be glorified in us. Father, we ask these things through the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, our final series today on God's fatherhood and his family is from 1 Corinthians 13 and it's called The Father's Love Community. When we went through the readings just then, did you notice that when Jesus was actually teaching, they understood him? How do we know they understood him? Because they tried to throw him off a cliff. In the modern post-Christian world, we say we can't understand you. We don't know what you're talking about. That's baloney. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. How can it be foolishness to those who are perishing? Well, it means they understand it. And no one spoke more clearly than Jesus. No one spoke with more love than Jesus. No one got their words more right than Jesus. Did they not understand him? See, we live in an age where we think that by saying, I don't understand the things that you're talking about when it comes to the things of God, that we're actually right. No, they understood Jesus. The Word of God is clear for us. And so what we're going to see with the Corinthian church in my three points this week is the Corinthians had no moral compass at all. They were a lawless church. Without God's love, point two, we are nothing. That means a quantity of no importance. But three, God's love is a saving love. comes to us through His Son, Jesus Christ by the Spirit. And last week you'll remember that we saw that the Corinthians weren't living as the Father's family. They weren't living with their, uh, their faith fixed on how the Father saw each member in Christ. They weren't actually looking at each other in the same way that the Father looks at each other. And there were all these divisions. And so Paul wrote and said, No, you've been baptised into the body of Christ and each member has the same value. And we also saw that all the status inequality and all cultural barriers, all these divisions were broken down through baptism into Jesus Christ. Now, that's the truth. That's the way things really, really are for us as the church. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no truth. All is actually death. And so although this church is lawless in their behaviour and we'll see what that means, Paul still says you are people who are in Jesus Christ. He still talks about them as the church in Jesus Christ and he as a pastor has been rejected. But he won't leave them alone. He still loves them. He's still coming to them with the Father's love. Now at the end of chapter 12, He says, and it really shouldn't even be there, it should just be a continuation, but he says, look, brothers and sisters, when it comes to your giftings, 
I'm going to teach you a more excellent way. And we're going to have a, that, have a look at that more excellent way. And you'll probably know from our readings that the more excellent way is this. Without God's love working in our hearts, all our giftings and all our workings are empty. They're void of anything that is of any value. So, the Corinthians had actually lost their moral compass. Can you believe that you could be in a church that could no longer discern the things of God? Can you imagine? You're in a church and you can no longer tell what is from God and what is not from God. Is it possible? Yes. And then the sign of a church that has lost all its moral values for God says, we are a church that doesn't judge. The first sign is that a church is lawless. We don't judge. In other words, what we say is this, we just accept everything. At that point, you're judging. See, when you accept things that are not from God, what are you saying? You're making a decision. You're saying, well, we're accepting that. And that's okay. That was the Corinthians. They said, we don't judge. We don't want you either, Paul, as our pastor, but we don't judge. We accept everything. Now, Jesus happened to say in one breath, do not judge lest you be judged. But really, Jesus was getting to a hypocritical judgment that we have, where we're doing one thing and saying another thing. But do you know, in the same breath, Jesus says these words, Watch out for sheep who come in wolves' clothing. If you can't make any kind of discernment, how can you tell if someone's a sheep coming in wolves' clothing? And then he says, you'll know them by their fruits. So is Jesus saying we don't make any discernment or any issues on things? Absolutely not. Now, the Corinthians had no moral radar they were actually calling evil good and good evil. So there was sexual immorality in the church and do you know they were boasting in it? They were actually boasting in it. We accept it. They were coming to the Lord's table and some were getting drunk. It shocks us, doesn't it, to hear that? Do you know they had lawsuits against one another so they were taking each other to court? and they were having unbelievers work out their cases, that would have been a good witness to the community. Some were sleeping with prostitutes and they were saying it doesn't matter what we do because our physical body, doesn't matter what we do with our physical body. Then they said, Paul, you're a useless pastor. You're not well trained. You don't have the eloquence of the Corinthian philosophers. That's just a few things that went on. But let me just say this, were they still the father's family? Yeah. Have you ever read the history of Israel? It's a bleak history, isn't it? But were they God's people? Yes. Are we saying that God didn't come to renew them? No, we're not saying that at all. But the Corinthians somehow believed that if they were exercising their gifts... If they gathered together in worship, it didn't matter about the quality of life they had. So, as long as we're doing certain things, it doesn't matter about the quality 
of the life. Now, I met with somebody this week, an older couple in the Lutheran church, and they happened to bring up the fact that very little preaching now deals with lawlessness. I actually I had to hear what they had to say and they were right. See, Martin Luther was faced with two groups of people, the legalists and the lawless, and they both persecuted him. The legalists said salvation is by works and the lawless people said it doesn't matter what we do, we're all forgiven, we're under grace, it doesn't matter. And Luther said, no, the gospel actually saves you from both those errors. The gospel actually saves you from both those ways. And do you know what? Each one of us in this room falls into each one of those categories because we're all carrying the flesh with us. So I am, I'm not saying I'm a void of that. I'm a part of the problem. Is that my flesh can be either legalistic or can quite easily be lawless. And so Paul says to them, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which was really big in Corinth, if you spoke in tongues, I mean, you were were just so special. But if you have no love, Paul says, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I'm the greatest tither in the world or the greatest tither in the church, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and killed for the faith, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul makes it clear that you can be doing those things. You can actually be exercising your gifts without love. That's what they were doing. Now, it's a good warning to us, isn't it? It's a good warning to know that we can actually be operating in such a way and not have the love of God working in our hearts. In fact, if you have a look at miracle faith there for a moment and when he says, if I have all faith, that's not saving faith, that's called miracle faith. And I have someone in my family who lives by miracle faith and not saving faith. And sometimes miracle faith is actually necessary. You will see healings and you'll see miracles. But this person in my family, I will get on the phone to them and I'll say to them, look, I'm going to go visit somebody in the hospital this week and they're very, very sick and their first response will be, oh, God will heal them. Do you know, that sometimes really hurts me because I've got to go and see these people and I'm just gut-wrenched to get there. There's no love in that. Miracle faith is easy. And you know what, there's a teaching going around that if you just have enough faith, God will heal you. And not only will he heal you, but he'll even stop you from dying. Well, I tell you, it takes more faith to die than it does to be healed. It takes more faith to go through the grave than it does to demand healing. And so the the Corinthians are the first megachurch. They're really the modern megachurch of today, just breeding. So Paul says, without God's love, We are nothing. Paul makes it clear elsewhere in Corinthians that if we aren't building on the foundation of the love of God, and this is really important, if we don't work on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, at the end of the age, God's fire is going to go through our works. 
You will be saved by grace through faith, but your works are going to be tested by fire. What has not been built on Jesus Christ, what has not been built on the foundation of his love, do you know what happens to it? It burns. It doesn't go into eternity. You really want to be a prophet? You actually have to say these things. Imagine if God started to receive our filthy works. What would heaven be like if one sin got into heaven? Be impure. Paul says you can be an ordained pastor, you can have the gift of prophecy, you can be an evangelist, you can work miracles, you can have the gift of tongues. But if you do not have the love of Father working in your heart, the love of God working in your heart, it is empty. It is useless, both now and in eternity. Boy, if I'm ever going to preach a short sermon, it's today. I'm sweating and dripping and... um, The Lord knows how to get you to 10 minutes, doesn't he? Bear with me just a little bit longer. You're doing really well. The Corinthians actually didn't care. They didn't care that as long as the machinery of the church ran. Now, let me give you an example. If it doesn't matter what we do, how about I take home the offerings every Sunday morning and spend them on my wife? Well, I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. We all sin. We're all the same. So I'll just take home the offerings every Sunday, spend them on my wife and uh, you'll, you'll forgive me, won't you? Yeah, right. Touch the money in the church. You'll see church discipline. So what do you do with me? What do you do with me when I say I'm taking the money? How do you know it's wrong for me to take the money? Just try it, you reckon. God's law. You'd come and say, Chris, it's God's law that tells you you shouldn't take. But I'm not under law, I'm under grace. It doesn't matter, I'm forgiven. And what would you say to me then? Well, if you're a forgiven child of God, you'll love God's law, you'll trust him for money and you'll do honest work. You won't need to steal or be greedy. Is that right? Do you know that there are hundreds of churches at the moment who see success as bums on seats and money in a plate? You could go anywhere in Australia and you would see that the success of a church is how many people are there and how much money is in the plate. What does Paul say? Without love, without the quality of God's love, that is not success. That is death. That's a pretty low standard, isn't it? Money in a plate, bums on seats. Wow, we're really deep then, aren't we? And yet there's a pressure, isn't there? There's really a pressure in church council. There's this pressure. And they have to somehow, with all of us, look at that pressure. But then we actually have to look at God's word. We have to look at Jesus Christ, don't we? We have to ask the real questions, what is going on? So, in the foundation of the Lutheran Church, there is law and there is what? Gospel. This church was lawless. 
Last point, and I am hurrying along. God's love is saving love. It's so important to know. Do you know that every reference in the Scripture, well, nearly every reference in the Scripture to God's love is actually linked with Him saving you? Saving you from what? Saving you from the penalty and the power of sin. So what's the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin is death and the power of sin is guilt. God the Father in and through Jesus Christ actually saves you from the power and penalty of sin by making a sacrifice of atonement through Jesus Christ, by Christ bearing your sin and actually bearing the penalty of your guilt and therefore liberating you and freeing you through the Holy Spirit and through a clear conscience to actually bear the fruit of God's love. It's a saving love. It is also personal and it is also relational. So, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. And if you feel undone when we read these verses, then join me because I feel undone when I read them. Love is patient and kind. And I could say, well, I'll say it with Martin Luther's terms. Martin Luther said, if you really want to trust God, he said, get married. He said, you monks, you don't know what you're missing out on. There's no suffering in being a monk, but get married and there's a bit of suffering. And he actually was saying it in a good way because in marriage, love is just patient and kind all the time, isn't it? He should have been at our house yesterday when we were cleaning the backyard. Man, I say to the pup, I'm the boss. And uh, yeah, I wasn't the boss yesterday. Uh, let me tell you... Um, Anyhow, love is patient, love is kind. Sorry, darling. Um, It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way or it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love endures all things and love never ends. See, brothers and sisters, as soon as you read that, you realise that all of those qualities, we can't bear them, can we? Not of ourselves. In fact, the work to not be arrogant, the power to not be rude, the power of patience, the power of kindness, the power to even be secure enough not to envy or be jealous is actually not our work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who causes us to live in Jesus Christ by faith. And when He causes us to live in Jesus by faith, we actually discover that God's love secures us. We actually discover that we're filled with the Father's love. But that filling comes through forgiveness. So the same love that forgives you is the same love that produces all of these fruits. It's not two different loves. The love that forgives is the love that sustains, is the love that starts to produce these glorious fruits. And when you fail, your first response to failure should be, what sin? I am a justified and forgiven man. Not justifying your sin, but Christ has taken that. You need to quickly get back up from your failures. 
If you don't quickly get back up from your failures, do you know what begins to manifest in you? Your guilt. So when you sin, your first response is, I am a justified and forgiven sinner. And at that point, God's love again begins to flow. If some of you are dwelling on your failures, dwell upon them through the cross of Jesus. And there you'll see what your failures really mean to God. They are forgiven. I'm just going to finish with this quote from Luther. A Christian is someone who lives in Christ through faith. That is so important. If you could just remember that. What's a Christian? Someone who lives in Christ by faith and in his neighbour through love. You can never have that second part without the first part. The Holy Spirit is given when one listens to the faith in the Gospel and the Holy Spirit is the one who loves the neighbour sincerely or authentically or with heartfelt affection. There is nothing more delightful and lovable on earth than one's neighbour. How can someone write that? Love does not think about doing works. It finds joy in people. Now, when you love something or you love someone, you do enjoy them, don't you? In the last day, everything that has been done in love for others will be made manifest in the kingdom of God because love never ends. The Lord bless you. You've done really well on this heat. I'm dripping. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.